I love you madly. I'm going to do you the honor of letting you die superbly. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. They're frequently dumb, but they're sometimes astute. They're always emphatic on a degree absolute. They're breaking the prisoner right down to the root. That whole TV show on a degree absolute. If you like lava lamps and weather balloons, and whack-ass inflections from Patrick McGoon, Chris and Glenn made a podcast especially for you. It's no degree partial, it's a degree absolute, absolute. Glenn. Chris. Bad news, buddy. Pray tell. The president has initiated ghost protocol. Oh, God. This entire podcast has been disavowed. Okay. I've been ordered to take you back to Washington, where the DOD will label you as a rogue extremist podcaster and hang the, uh, I don't know, cancellation of I Was There Too <laughs> on you and your team, unless you were to escape somewhere between here and the airport, having assaulted me. You would then illegally scrounge whatever material you could from a backup supply cache that I've overlooked, the same cache where your team are waiting for further orders. You would then disappear, and as this conversation never took place, your intentions would be unclear. But if any one of your team were caught or killed, they would be branded terrorists out to incite global nuclear war. Okay. So by this, Chris, I infer that you are saying that this episode, The Girl Who Was Death, is more in keeping with Mission Impossible. I'm not clear if you're saying it's with the, the movies or the, or the original television program. My question for you, though, is how closely does it adhere to something like the Avengers? Because, of course, all the references in this fucking episode are super uber mega British, right? So it seems to me like the Avengers is is the right. <laughs> wait, pull. wait, 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 wait. So the the mysterious death during a cricket match of Colonel Hawk English uh, Hulk <laughs> reads as sort of Anglo filistic <laughs> to yep. you. Glenn? Uh, poisoned uh, stout. Yep, the whole thing. The whole, uh, it just keeps getting Britisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This was a tough one because I wanted to come up with some some kind of, you know, spy, counter-spy, sign recognition, call sign thing. I thought about going with, could I trouble you for a match? I use a lighter, better still, until they go wrong, which we hear several times in From Russia With Love, mm-hmm. which actually predated this. I mean, that's interesting. By okay. a few years. Because Bond, uh, certainly, especially in the Roger Moore era, gets... Very close to this silly, as silly as this episode is. Does the Avengers yeah. ever go this silly? Oh, uh, yes, yes, okay. pretty frequently. Okay. And it's not like a sort of escalation of silliness. I mean, that was that was the baseline for the Avengers much of the time. But uh, I, Glenn, I just, I knew that it was going to be tough to thread this needle to find some kind of spy dialogue thing that you would recognize. So I think... I want to borrow a lead to get us rolling here since we are coming off of our discussion of Living in Harmony mm-hmm. with the great Ben Blacker. Mm-hmm. Rolling into uh, another of the final four 
the girl who was death. This is actually the penultimate episode produced. They're actually shooting part of this concurrently with Fallout. Yep. So this is very, very near the end. But uh, I'm going to borrow a phrase from Janet Maislin from her 1982 New York Times review of a film that, despite your in- insistence to the contrary that I'm already anticipating, has not yet come up on this show. Again, I am the keeper of the archive. I am the arbiter of the good and golden truth and a faithful respecter of the objectively so. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just finished Ben Winter's novel, Golden State, which is all about this future society where, where lying is a felony and there's a whole police department devoted to catching catching liars. Great book. I recommend it. That's in a degree absolute literary recommendation. So unless you're going to chide me for referencing a Melville thing twice in two episodes, I am going to cite Janet Maislin, who began her review of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan thusly. Now this is more like it. Oh, see, right. Good, 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 good. I, I'm sorry to, I'm like a dog with a bone here, but did Secret Agent slash Danger Man ever get this silly? Uh, I don't think it ever got this silly, but um, it did get this cast-wise. Mm-hmm. Christopher Benjamin. Potter. Yep, sure, sure, sure. Makes up an appearance here. He showed up in a bunch of Danger Man episodes. He was in, what's the name of the uh, the movie that they turned the, the like the aborted fourth season of Danger Man in color into? Oh, I want to say Kosho because it's, 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 in, it's on the brain. It's like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a sauce. <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember. Nope, nope, nope. Just keep, keep vamping while I, I uh... Kuroshi. Kuroshi. Kuroshi, that's it. That was the the TV movie that the the only two episodes of Danger Man that were actually shot during the the color season that McGowan just pieced out mm-hmm. in the middle of, mm-hmm. very near the beginning of would be more truthful. So so uh, Christopher Benjamin, the same actor, is in those playing a character named Potter, mm-hmm. as he does here. He's in in Danger Man. So here we see him on the cricket ground at the beginning. We see him. He's the uh, shoe shine guy who. Speaks into his shoe brush. That's a thing, man. <laughs> because that's a, that's a thing. He calls it ridiculous, but uh, and he's not wrong. Yeah, this episode is going to mostly be train spotting for me, and I, I mean this this is kind of hog heaven for me, Glenn, because generally the way this goes is that you're actually trying to, to assemble some kind of theory of the case, and I'm just like, how about this? How about that? That was funny. That's a and but I I mean I I feel like that's all. This is this is like a sort of Family Guy episode of The Prisoner. That's a good um, poll. That I enjoyed very much. My my theory here is, and, and this this episode was shot in September of October of sixty seven. So this is one of the episodes that is in production after The Prisoner has started to air. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've asked this question before. Like I don't know what exactly happened between McGowan and. Um, Markstein? The money man, the I no the Lou ITC grade. guy, the guy Lou Grade, Lou Grade. After they finished their initial thirteen episodes, after they they wrapped on many happy returns, mm-hmm. I don't know unless the series was just costing way more money than than Lou Grade was prepared to keep doling out. I don't know how they could have concluded that they needed to wrap this up sooner than later without it having had a chance to air and to find out whether it connected with audiences or not. But just looking at, at this final production block of four episodes, which was Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling, doesn't count, right? I mean, McGowan <laughs> was barely there, uh, Living in Harmony, The Girl Who Was Death, and Fallout. Those are the four that get made afterwards, even though um, Once Upon a Time is shown 
in the penultimate spot that was made much earlier. So just looking at the content of these, I feel like Magoon must have been like, fuck it. You know, he's just <laughs> over it. Like, I, I feel like maybe he had a meeting with Grade that went badly and he was like, okay, you want more Danger Man? You've always wanted more Danger Man. I'm going to give you more fucking Danger Man. Here's your fucking Danger Man. Because that's what this episode feels like, right? It does. It it does. It also feels like a fable, like like the the, the as, as uh, number two says at the end, a fairytale version of Danger Man. And the thing though is that I don't know if I agree with the whole like he wants to save some money aspect because there is a lot of money on screen in this episode. They blow up a bulldozer. Uh, that's <laughs> that's like that's not a that you don't you don't do that. Uh, there's, there's also uh, there's also a lot of stock footage on screen in this episode. Sure. Glenn. There's a lot of rear projection. I'm not sure we actually get more Magoon in this than we do in Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling. Maybe a little more, but not I, that much more. There's a lot of doubling. In, there's a lot of doubling. I suspect the reason that the makeup, the the, the disguise, the, the chops <laughs> are so very mutton is yep. is so they can just disguise him. So they they don't need to use actual. McGowan when they can use his double in a lot of these shots. Yes. So, so apparently we, we get Frank Mayer, his stunt double, but also a guy named Jeff Morrow, who is just his stand-in, which I guess is, as I understand it, that's a person who's of more or less the appropriate height, build, skin tone, who they can use to set up lights and things. So the the actual talent doesn't have to stand around twiddling their thumbs. There's a lot of a lot of Morrow in this one too. A lot of Morrow. And again, there's so much happens in this episode. There is so much event. There is so much stuff going on that is just leading you from one scenario to another. And of course, the show is called, the episode is called The, the Girl Who Was Death. If you wanted to read the allegory of this, it's the adventures of a spy who is always flirting with death, who always comes very close uh-huh. to being done in by death, but always escapes and just goes on to the next adventure. This is why she loves him so. It's a weird episode. The wheels aren't coming off the lorry quite yet, but they're <laughs> wobbling. But I would much rather batshit crazy stuff like this than Do Not Forsake Me, which is a workaround also a reach around yeah but like it, it's it's <laughs> it's committing to something it's not committing to the surreal futuristic milieu of the prisoner right it's committing to something entirely different but i still love it I still love this episode i really like it too we need to back up for a second okay. we need to welcome yes the, the thing that you've forgotten glenn the one thing you didn't count on <laughs> Just like Alan Rickman and his band of terrorists and the Nakatomi Tower and Christmas Eve in L.A. I've often been compared. In The Lion in Winter. <laughs> the one thing you didn't count on, Glenn, the fly in the ointment, the monkey in the wrench. Was that in 1966, Patrick McGowan starred the long-running TV spy series. Danger Man resigned at the height of that show's popularity to create a new series about a spy who resigns from government service and wakes up in a mysterious, inescapable village where each I'm relaxed is referred now. I'm to. relaxing now because this is this. I, I was waiting I know, for it's it. soothing, yes, right? It it's calming, yeah. right? An escapable village where... Some residents are referred to only by by numbers. Surreal and provocative, silly and pretentious, ahead of its time, and innately and unambiguously and lava-lampedly of its time, that short-lived, long-tailed series was called The Prisoner. Damn right. And this, friends, is the private, personal, by-hand, punch-card-driven podcast where we take this unclassifiable and unforgettable television series and... We push it like we're native people of the Amazon basin, exploited by both Klaus Kinski and Werner Herzog in the 1982 film Fitzcarraldo. 
Six out of six, Glenn. I'm going to take a point off that because if I remember correctly, they don't actually push it. They more pull it. I think there's pulleys involved. I, I, th- I yeah, think there's pulleys. Yeah, no, I think that's right, and I'm actually going to knock it down to a four okay. because you didn't do it as Kinski or as Herzog. I didn't also say Werner. I should have said Werner. I said Werner like a chump. That's all right. There'll be some Von Braun talk in this episode. Yeah, so there certainly will. You'll get a chance to redeem yourself. There certainly will. We file it, by which I mean we collaborate with Bertolt Brecht to compose works for the stage that belong to what he called Gebrauchsmusik, which is music that serves a socially <laughs> useful purpose, most famously, sorry, most famously, the three-penny opera. <laughs> six out of six. Okay, you're, you're a cheap date. We index it like we're pages 309 to 324 in the highly praised yet vaguely unappreciated starred Kirkus Review nonfiction book, The Cape Crusade, Batman and the Rise of Nerd Culture, now available on a fine remainder table near you. Also available on my shelf, two copies. That's weird. And in my Audible library, read by the author. Six out of six. <laughs> we stamp it. I'm giving the book a six out of six. I, I, I appreciate uh, uh, that. The, the reference, not applicable. I'm not scoring that one, <laughs> yeah. but the book is a six the out po- of six. The po- it's low-hanging fruit, as it were. Uh, and I appreciate it. The book appreciates it. Thank you for that grade. We stamp it like we're the objects of desire for, among others, one Mr. Kenneth Griffith, number two of this episode, who began collecting stamps, Chris, after being dismissed from service in World War II upon contracting scarlet fever. Okay, so this isn't this isn't a fun fact. Okay. <laughs> this is more just educating the people. Uh-huh. Educating the people. Wow, is his uh, Wikipedia entry written by the same publicist who who wrote Patrick Cargill? No, 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 no. The dish has run away with the spoon, I, Glenn. <laughs> I think maybe it's possible that Big Stamp got got into his, <laughs> his, his Wikipedia entry. Yeah, yeah. Stamps dot com will never sponsor this That's podcast because true. we're speaking truth to power. But if you want to lick it, it's a quarter. Uh, <laughs> Terrencestamp.com might, I might was, come in for This is because. full disclosure. I might I might do this at some point. I wanted to memorize a monologue of Terrence Stamps from Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. But I cannot. Mm. Oh, oh, really? What a novel This is what idea. I think. This, I think, Chris, we're just going to have to acknowledge that we're going to have to mem- just do Terrence Stamp monologues because <laughs> we're not going to last. There's, there's nothing else we can do. My suggested rebrand to you once we get through all the Prisoner episodes was we could either change this to Six Degrees of Pat McGowan. Or uh, it could become a podcast about phil- philately, philately. Uh, the the study of Terence. Phyllis Schlafly yes. could come a podcast <laughs> about a... Phyllis Schlafly. <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, <laughs> but I try. I listened to uh, a really great a couple of monologues of his from Priscilla, and I can't figure out what mm. he's doing with his accent. I think he's not trying to be Australian, or if he is, he's doing it really weirdly. I think he's just trying to be a British guy yeah. in, in Australia, which. You you were thinking of Daniel Craig from uh, Logan Lucky when I was attempting badly. Yes, Terrence Stamp from from the Limey. I should have known that because I, I had just yeah. seen the Limey. But um, yes, and Terrence Stamp is not in Logan Lucky. But I should have corrected you. In it. Yeah, no, no, no. It's and this this happened like grains are a thing. Glenn. As people are listening to this, this it happened like five <laughs> weeks ago. But yes, yes, that's that's a thing. Anyway, we brief it like we're a talking collection of fruit in a Fruit of the Loom ad campaign. Mm. Yeah. If you don't like this mm. one, you're not going to like the rest. So settle in, strap in. Let me give you that one a three. Okay. I just don't think it. I remember the campaign. I appreciate but, that. Um, I know you're capable of more. Oh, that's, three uh, you're not mad. You're just disappointed. <laughs> we debrief it like it's the 90s when Fruit of the Loom discontinued the anthropomorphic fruit bowl ad campaign. 
give that one a four. Okay. Well, there's history. Then maybe there's uh there's a changing changing of the guard then, then, and a changing of the drawers. Then so, maybe uh, uh, this will get me a five. Probably won't. Let's be honest. <laughs> probably won't. We number. Know, it. Are you going to read it as Werner Herzog? I'm not. I'm not. We we number it like we're professional fruit of the loom inspectors who left an inspected by card in every pair as their calling card, like they're the goddamn Joker or something. Mm. That's a six. Glenn. Is it? Okay. All right. That's a six. Yes, because of the comfort of knowing that your, your briefs have been <laughs> inspected. And I, I like to think that uh, mine have been inspected by uh, number number 14, Sheila Allen, just because I, not, not for any lascivious reason, just because I have great confidence in her. What was Rachel Herbert's number? Uh, I don't 48, remember her number. Maybe. Was she number? Was number, she number 48, 40? maybe. I don't remember. Possibly. Oh, I mean... Yeah, yeah, you I, want to be inspected I, by I, number forty-eight. I have fully prurient dreams of, of having my my <laughs> briefs inspected by number forty-eight. Briefs <laughs> inspected by, by number forty-eight. <laughs> boita, boita, boita. <laughs> Will you never learn? This is only the beginning. Tick, 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 tick. She would say psh, as she inspects tick, tick, your briefs. <laughs> ah, the heart wants what the heart wants. I know. But... No, no kink shame. No kink shame here. Oh, that was it. That was numbered. Yep. Okay. All right. So so you come in with an aggregate score of, I wasn't keeping track, but I think you might have cracked the 30s. Anyway. <laughs> Despite your uh, middling score for the first of your Fruit of the Loom series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tough but fair. You started with your weakest one and you uh, ratcheted up the, the tension. So Rule of threes coming. Nice, Rule of threes. nice work. The prisoner meets a delightful distraction with a deadly, dangerous plan for his destruction in The Girl Who Was Death. As she takes him on a murder merry-go-round with all the fear of the fair. My name is Death. Is your heart pounding, your hand shaking? Nice of you to drop in. You'll soon get the point. This strange, beautiful girl takes the prisoner from the present into the Napoleonic past. You're quite sure you killed him. Father, who taught me? Be sure to watch The Girl Who Was Death, the next exciting episode of The Prisoner on this channel. All right, The Girl Who Was Death. This was written by Vincent Feely, who wrote one of our favorite episodes, Schizoid Man, from an idea... By David Tomlin. He was checking out. He was like, I'm out. Tomlin is all about giving credit to ideas, although he he reduced Ian Rakoff, who thought he was going to get a co-writing credit on Living in Harmony, to from a story by Tomlin and Rakoff. And Tomlin gave himself the writing directing credit mm-hmm. on the... I don't know. That's that's just a thing that I always like to see in the credits, like from an idea. Yep. In the opening Q&A, once again, as I should not have made a big deal about this early on in the episodes, it's just the default number. Number no, this is this two. is revealing though. I mean, it's a thing that 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 you remembered incorrectly about the series, but that is interesting. Yeah. Why did you remember it that way? I remembered it that way too. I remember we always got an insert shot of whoever number two was that episode. They don't do it here because they want to leave it as a surprise, even though they really shouldn't. Because anybody who's yeah. watched the series before will know that it's Kenneth Griffiths, Kenneth Griffith as number two. Uh, but he doesn't get an answer chat. We open on the frontispiece, I think that's the word, of a book that has a kind of small world vibe to it. It's a lot of na- different national costumes. Mm. And then we turn to a, I'm just going to call it because I'm a nerd, a splash page illustration of yeah. people playing cricket. And then we cut to a cricket uh, grounds. Is that what we call the cricket <laughs> I, field? I believe it's a, it's a cricket 
grounds. Pitch? Is it, is it a pitch? Might be a pitch. I think pitch is where they play football. Okay. By which I mean soccer. Yeah. Maybe. So confusing. I think that's because Fever Pitch, the, the Nick Hornby oh, sure. book about soccer, by which he means football, <laughs> which then I think turned into a baseball movie when yeah. it became an American movie. Ladies and gentlemen, you were just yeah. descri- you were just listening to the postmodern condition where we know a thing <laughs> because we read a thing about the thing, but not actually experience the thing. Um, and that on this cricket pitch, grounds, field, match, thing. A murder. A murder, a murder of, crickets. of crickets. People are clapping wildly, way too wildly for cricket, it yep. just seems. It's like they mm-hmm. are going ape shit over some cricket. I should have looked up the name of the cricketeer who gets blown up um, because that mustache. The mustache. That mustache. And he is so proud of that mustache. I mean, he like reaches up to stroke he, his mustache after he gets a... He is the... A, base hit or whatever the fucking cricket equivalent is. I mean, it went into the bushes. I mean, like, he is the Pringles guy. He is so proud of his status as the Pringles guy. But the guy keeping score, right? I don't want a hint. I want to. (laughs) The guy keeping score is Potter, as you mentioned. But he's also played by the same dude who was the head of the Village's Labor Exchange. The Tinker Toy guy. the Tinker Toys. Exactly. Yes. Any politics. Any hobbies, any family illnesses. Any politics. Uh, He is looking very shifty in this scene. Do you like to read what you like to eat? Yep. Exactly. Thank you for (laughs) recording back to me the thing I know. Just going to keep going. He's uh, up to no good. He's got a gun in his bag. He grabs a pair of binoculars and he scans the crowd, stopping only briefly to completely objectify uh the titular <laughs> girl who was deaf yes we're just going to call refer to her as death because she will eventually mm-hmm. refer to herself as that yes now in his justine lord justine lord man i don't know much about her glenn but i i liked the fact that her eyebrows are styled like the eyebrows painted onto adam west's batman cowl they have the same shape Yes. Which I like. What they both have in common, Chris, those two things you just mentioned, is drag. We're talking about drag here. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> now, I mean, this makeup is, you know, I think maybe at a time that might have called it an Egyptian eye. Uh, it is painted on, it is with a Sharpie. I mean, it's like a magic marker. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I would prefer to call it, let's put the difference and call it an Endora eye. This is very Endora from Bewitched, this makeup. So after we see the gun in his back, he grabs a pair of binoculars. He, he scopes the girl who was deaf. I'm just going to call her death. And in yep. his defense, she is striking. She's got legs that go all the way up. She's got that Andorra eye. Yeah. He doesn't... And he does a great, like, after after he's done checking her out, he does a great, like, <laughs> like, gotta, gotta reset. See, I think. <laughs> like, I'm a cartoon. We, we <laughs> like... took away two very different interpretations because he does not linger on her. Because there is a dude, he scans, he goes over to the Pringles guy, mm-hmm. the Pringles yep. guy winks at him, and he smiles coquettishly. Yep. He looks a little tee yeah. embarrassed. Hey. So uh, he smiles back at uh, Pringles guy, and then the ball goes out of bounds. Probably there's a mm-hmm. British term for out of bounds, but we'll see. It goes to a place that's just just not cricket. <laughs> and then we... we we don't see it, but like it's clearly the woman, it's clearly death who replaces it with a replica that has an explosive inside. Yep. So when the ball is thrown to Pringles to bat it, it explodes in some very red smoke. And we then. Yeah. 
and none of the spectators react with horror or, or disbelief or anything. <laughs> I mean, we'll come back to this because we're going to come back to this cricket pitch field match later. This very same field. Which, I mean, again, like we can excuse all kinds of the like the reveal of what this story ultimately is and who's telling it and to whom. We'll forgive much of the goofiness of the telling, but maybe not all. There's a, <laughs> we can debate this, this. This episode could also be called Yada 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 because lots of yada yada yada. <laughs> we cut to a newspaper kiosk where we learn that the Pringles guy was one Colonel Hawk English. English. <laughs> I would say English only because like the the superfluous E's are silent, which is yeah. really, by the way, putting a hat on a hat. The Hawk uh-huh. English. But again... The superfluous E, so maybe it's more like putting a hate on a hate. We find out that he is, he died, he was murdered. The papers say murder, so there's no, like, <laughs> the, the cricket ball was a little off. Yep. You know, it was nothing like that. We clearly know it was murder. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't a cricket malfunction. Nope. <laughs> Something that he, turned deadly. He died in a horrible <laughs> cricket accident. Uh, the papers also say that he was one short of his century. Were you confused by this, Chris? Yes, okay. yes. I don't know what that it means. It does. I infer that it means it's it's referring to his cricket score because he died when he had just scored 99, right? Uh, oh. Unless he looks really great for 99. <laughs> Maybe he's an eternal. I don't know. But like uh-huh. just one short of his century, which means these matches go on okay. for days, right? So you can This get, is a hypothesis. You, you didn't look this up. I am right. reading... Uh, context clues, and I'm reasonably so. You 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 may be entitled to a no prize for. Uh, mm, I think I think generating your own. I think that solution. would be obvious to English viewers. I, I don't think it would huh. necessarily be obvious, but I mean, like you can get it right. He just mm-hmm. had scored 99, and then he dies. One short of his century. Okay. We are in London now. We see six. He is wearing a cap that does not suit him. This is not a good cap. This is. Oh, you, don't, you don't like the don't cap. Like the cap. What about the trench coat? Uh, the Mac? Huh? It's called a Mac. It's a Macintosh. Oh, I believe it's a Mac. Okay. Um, right. Don't like it. Don't like anything about his look here. I don't like the metallic. It, help me out here, Chris, because well, the color It's a metallic mm. green tie, yes, with a cobalt blue shirt. It, okay. The shirt is blue. Right. The tie is gold. Gold. Okay. Okay. I mean, you wouldn't wear a green tie with a blue shirt, right? That's not enough of a contrast. It seems or... like he shouldn't be wearing whatever the fuck he's wearing. Yeah, it's like a yellow-gold kind of Good to know. Tie. So it's kind of a Michigan, like uh, University of Michigan kind of. <laughs> Maybe he went to UMich. What? Uh, Where does this pull come from? <laughs> I know, I know. You? I got layers, Chris. You, you... I got layers. Unmask yourself. He stops by um, a shoeshine man. Six refers to him as Potter, Potter, which is a Danger Man reference, a secret agent reference, as you mentioned. Right. Um, and I think Kuroshi ultimately aired like concurrently with this, mm-hmm. which uh, is weird. Has mm-hmm. anybody else on the show The Prisoner been referred to as Potter? It seems to me like I've heard that name elsewhere on this show. <sighs> I don't okay. remember. This is this is where this is why we have the internet. This is why uh-huh. the vast internet is full of people will correct us. Potter. Potter. Potter is works for MI five, MI six. Is it? Am I nine? One's a highway, one's a secret service thing. So I I can never remember. (laughs) He works, I don't think he works for the highway. I think he works for the the secret service. He's been tasked to protect the colonel, who is also a British agent. And his failure has gotten demoted him to, has has gotten him demoted to shining shoes, which sure, like that's just British, much more civilized, right? Than there's no Siberia for us. 
we're, we're the good people. We just make you do manual labor. But his his uh, like shoe shine brush radio mm-hmm. is awesome, and I mean certainly n- no more surreptitious than just an actual fucking walkie-talkie. No, would be. But I think that's I think that's why I like it. No, <laughs> and if you hold a shoe shine brush up to your face, you're gonna get <laughs> shoe polish yeah. on your cheek. Right. You'd think that they would invert they can, it, right? You t- like turn the wooden part to your cheek, but no. Yeah, right. Or maybe, you know, maybe they angle the microphone, calibrate the microphone just so so that you can speak into the brush while holding it several inches from your mouth as one would while brushing shoes oh. and it would still capture your then it would just look like you were talking to yourself or singing to yourself, whistling while you work. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would passers by would think you were just singing uh, get rhythm while shining shoes as uh, as the film Walk the Line posits is the origin of Johnny Cash's uh, song Get Rhythm. Okay. Good to know. But we're we're pro Shoe shine brush radio. Yeah, we're pro shoe shine as a means of getting information because we love Police Squad, <laughs> yes, and uh, it, is, right. it is established in Police Squad that that's yes, a, a perfectly as, uh, cromulent means of, of gaining information. Daniel Craig says in the the scene at the National Gallery where we're introduced to the Ben Wishaw mm. version of Q and Skyfall, mm. a gun, and a shoe shine brush radio. Not exactly Christmas, is it? <laughs> I've completely forgotten that, but this is why. You bring the knowledge. You bring the knowledge. Yeah. Oh, man, on. that scene is suffused with subtext, Glenn, where they're looking at that Turner painting and talking about the bloody old ship and whether it's obsolete or not. And that, that scene, like you, Glenn, has layers. <laughs> okay. So, yes, the colonel was an agent who was trying to track down one Dr. Schnipps. I love this name. I love, I love it. <laughs> who was a crazy scientist who's been trying to build a rocket to destroy London for 26 years. What was the colonel up to? Dr. Snips, crazy scientist. For the last 26 years, he's been building a super rocket to destroy London. Where? Well, it's just what the colonel was about to find out. Excuse me. Ridiculous. Where do I start? You're to go to the Magnum record shop, booth 7. The chief will speak to you there. Chin up, Potter. It was so damned unsporting. It certainly wasn't cricket. Yes. Okay. Notable. This is the plot of Moonraker, the mm-hmm. third James Bond novel, which, uh, you know, once it becomes a movie at the end of the 70s, they keep the name of the story. They keep the name of the villain. They, they throw out everything else. But in the novel Moonraker, which was only the only the third Fleming Bond book, that's the big gambit. Bad guy ex-Nazi is uh, building a rocket to destroy London. Right. Okay. And actually, Dr. Schnipps was originally intended to be a a worshiper of Adolf Hitler, right? Because like in, in the original script, he had little Adolf Hitlers right. assisting him. They yes. decided to switch it to Napoleon because quaint. They could have used the Elvis Costello song, Little Hitlers, mm-hmm. Two Little Hitlers. And uh, in the revised version, they, they could use the Elvis Costello song, Poor Napoleon. So yeah, it, there's a Costello song for every occasion. There's a Costello song for every occasion. And I really, on the, the uh, Dance of the Dead episode, when you said that Mary Morris will brook no, no dancing, I, of course, wanted to drop in Elvis's no dancing. Okay. And did you? Didn't. But it's good to know you listened to our show. No, no, no. I, w- I just wouldn't remember it because I wouldn't recognize it if I heard it. I would have used the part that goes, no dancing. I probably would have, I probably would have picked up on that. <laughs> a... I, I'm not big on subtext, but I probably would have picked up on that. So he is told to head to Magnum Record Store, booth seven, to speak to the chief. Mm-hmm. And Chris, between you and me... The people who shop at Magnum Records are just trying to impress people. A regular record store just work, would work just as fine, right? You agree? We, you feel me? To, oh, okay. Good, good. What I'll tell you, Glenn, is um, there is a difference. Okay. It's not simply stoking the ego of insecure record buyers. Mm-hmm. 
There is a difference. I've learned a few things in the years since I, I used to buy my vinyl LP records at Walmart because I was embarrassed to buy them places where you'd have to ask for the, you know, where the records were kept behind the counter right. and you'd have to ask for them. Um, I may have been traumatized by an early episode when I had just started my career as a vinyl LP collector when uh, having developed an urgent need for a particular LP in the middle of the night because, you know, the listening session was ongoing. I went to a nearby 7-Eleven that also <laughs> stocked LPs. Oh, wow. And uh, had, but kept them behind the counter, so I had to ask for them. And the clerk, I guess reading my uh, discomfort, asked what size I needed. And uh, let me let me suffer for um, what to me seemed like many hours of, of tormented silence and then said, oh, I'm just fucking with you. Okay. Oh. <laughs> and then he further elaborated. He said, when the sorority girls come in here, uh, I always ask them that. And they, they always look at each other and giggle and say, how about the medium? <laughs> uh, good for them. Good for them. Yep. 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 So, so uh, anyway, what, what I've learned, my, my many years of record collecting as a, as a pretentious audiophile is um, it, it, it makes, makes a difference. Good. makes a difference. Good to know. It's, the Magnum label is not merely, uh, it's not merely for show. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Good to know. As he's going to Magnum Records, the woman, Def, is pretending to be a mannequin <laughs> in the window. She doesn't look at him. Hang on. No, no, no. You're fast-forwarding here. I'm not. Because right? th- that's at the end of the record scene, nope. right? This is it's after at the beginning. The... It's at the beginning. Okay, sorry. Before he I gets apologize. there. I yeah. apologize. Um, she's imitating this mannequin. She's not looking at him at any point, so it's not like she's spying on him. She's just she's looking away from him at any point. And uh. we cut away from this scene before the shop owner comes over and goes, What are you doing? Get the fuck out of my window. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Which is just not, it's like, this is a thing that would happen. Yeah. Goes to the res- record store. He flashes something under his, what I've now learned, l- is gold tie. Yeah. I just thought that was a a gesture <laughs> that uh, <laughs> gesture. had been agreed. I didn't think there was anything under the tie Tenet. that he was flashing. I just thought that was the signal. Maybe just, the, I thought I thought there was a badge or something. I just thought that was the thing with the tie that will open up the right doors and a few of the wrong okay. ones. Okay. Well, I mean, like, it's not like anybody would go to somebody and flash, like, here's my tie. <laughs> I mean, it's like, so obviously it's a, it's a weird thing that he has to do. Mm-hmm. The record store clerk hands him a record and Six proceeds to get his dirty fucking oily fucking mitts. smudgy fingers yep. all over it. Like, I mean, he was a dick to that clerk in the village shop, but he did at least handle those Bizet LPs with the proper respect. He didn't put his oily fucking fingers right And the dude is communicating very clearly. He's holding it by the edges as he hands it to him. And he's yes. like, like, yes. It's just yep. like a fucking stevedore. Um, he goes over, he listens to the record. Mission, find and destroy Professor Schnipp's rocket. There's very little help I can give you, I'm afraid. Uh, the opposition have been one step ahead of us all along. Thank you very much. What was that? Nothing. Standard disguise. Take over where the colonel left off. His mission, should he decide to accept it, is to find and destroy Dr. Schnipp's rocket mm-hmm. with the standard disguise, which is hilarious because... I love the standard disguise, <laughs> which we will get to in a smash cut in just a second. You probably don't remember this because I will admit to non-obsessives they do run together, but it is a fact that you and I did see the film Mission Impossible Rogue Nation together, Glenn, which is the one where Ethan Hunt yep. gets his instructions ask you via about this. a vinyl record. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yes. Um, 
Now, that was the first of what's now going to be four Missions Impossible, written and directed by Chris McQuarrie, who at one point was supposed to script the Prisoner feature film. So very possibly uh, an intentional little little nod by him in Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. The name of that sad, I think it's in Piccadilly Circus is, is where the, the store in, um, not, not in uh, The Girl Who Was Death, but in Mission Impossible is, is supposed to be. Sadly, it is a fictitious record store, but got to give props to the production designers of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation because they called the store the vinyl offer. Come on. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's cool. Pretty I actually good. bought the t-shirt because uh, I love it. Yep. Solid piece of business. We like that. The disguise, when we see it, is anything but standard, Chris. It is above standard. <laughs> the- nope. It uh, reminded me of the great uh, classic late night bit when, when Conan was still on at 1230, where he uh, like joins in like an old-timey baseball league. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he puts on a fake beard to go play baseball well, no. on Long Island somewhere. It, and- the mustache is the mustache of a person who would be riding a penny-farthing bicycle. <laughs> the chops, they're mutton. Uh-huh. Oh, yes, they are. <laughs> and uh, Very nourishing on a, on a cold day. <laughs> and the wig is... Parrot like it is. It, it's a <laughs> big old fucking wig. And then we smash cut to him playing cricket at the same cricket pitch match field. Yep. Right. What is the definition of insanity, Chris? <laughs> is doing well. I mean, she got the results she wanted the last time. So I, I guess you're asking on behalf of uh, the intelligence services here. It is a, a fucking baller move to try to to dispatch the runner-up secret agent in exactly the same fashion. But her name is Death, so true. You know, that's uh, true. It's not like she can't cash the check. The so she tries the old exploding cricket ball bit and again, it's, and it happens at precisely the same point in the game when he's at ninety-nine, just one short of his century. Uh, uh, same thing happens. Ball goes out of bounds. She replaces it. Now apparently, one violently explosive murder is not enough for these grounds to have updated their ball handling protocols. No. <laughs> because... Two looks like carelessness, says uh, Oscar Wilde. Two Wild looks like carelessness. Tradecraft. And three's yeah. a trend, as we, as we like. <laughs> um, six is keen-eyed. I can't tell if he knows that the switch happened, but he is suspicious. When the ball is mm. thrown, he catches it and then throws it into the woods where she is or was, and there's an explosion. Uh-huh. He runs over to find a note written in lipstick on a very dainty lace edge mm-hmm. hanky, right? Like a Yeah, I think so. It says, Let's meet again at your local pub. What I love about this, Chris, is that she goes to the trouble, even though she's writing in lipstick, she she goes to the trouble of an M dash. <laughs> she goes, Let's meet again, M dash, two strokes at your local pub. Well, this isn't just a private, personal punch card driven podcast, Glenn. It is also a properly punctuated podcast. So, mm-hmm. so thank you for citing that very um, appropriate contribution from from that girl. What was her name? Ah, oh, yes, Death. Yes, my name is Death. Um, <laughs> Death of the Endless. The, I mean, yeah, she'd be coming soon to Netflix. Coming soon to Netflix, yeah. apparently. Now he goes to his local pub. What's wrong with this picture, Chris? It should be called the fucking Hope and Anchor because that's yeah, a pub he used right, to drink at. Would, right. And if uh, if he hadn't driven George Markstein away, I'm sure it would have been. He, he goes to a, a pub called, this is the worst pub to go to. It's called Hotel Restaurant. Like, yeah. why? <laughs> yeah. Why would you? I, I know. The prices are going to be so inflated. Everything's going to be so True. sterile and awful. Like, there's not going to be okay. any character at all. Why are we going to a hotel restaurant pub? But the barmaid, Doris, clearly Doris. knows him. She knows his drink. She asks if he wants his, his usual. And the usual thing. 
Please, Doris. I love that name. My grandma was named Doris. Great I'm name. waiting patiently for Doris to come back. Doris is uh, my kind of name, and also Doris kind of seems like my. She is wearing uh, a great top blouse. I don't know what to call it. She is, but that yeah, is a whatever that that is. Fantastic top, man. I quite agree. And uh, yeah, Doris, I would not be Magoon like were I a uh, regular at the Not the Hope and Anchor. Yeah. She'd be right sick of me, Glenn, because I'd be <laughs> I'd be trying to chat up Doris at every opportunity. Well, she's very accommodating for him, as we'll see in a bit. But uh, she serves him a stout. Magoon being Irish, I want this to be a Guinness. And from the head, yep. I like I think from the head and the color, I'd like to think it's a Guinness. I think it probably is. Uh, I mean, it could be a Boddington's or something. Could but uh, doesn't uh, the, the color isn't quite right was, for him. He takes a big ass pole. It was it was not a beachy head. Not a beachy head. Have you heard this thing, Chris, where, like, when we went to Ireland, we heard this thing from the locals, and I think it was just them, uh, having us on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Having, taking the piss, as they say. But, like, that, the the head that uh, is left on the glass is an indication of the number of gulps it takes for you to drink uh, a Guinness. And so an Irishman, (laughs) an Irishman does it in three. You see three rings on the Uh glass. An Englishman does does it in six or more. Because of course they're so weak, um, I, I, right. but he, in his yeah. defense, is taking some. An Englishman can get two bites into a tootsie pop and he's already <laughs> reached the candy scent. Exactly, um, but he's taking some. I don't know. I, I when I was in Ireland, uh, the the locals just kept approaching me and and saying, totally unbidden. That's not a knife. That's a knife, which was just weird. That's it was super weird. weird. It was not what I was expecting. I mean, it's the wrong hemisphere I mean, for I, one thing. And I didn't have any kind of an edged weapon <laughs> on right. my person at all. That's, so I don't know right. what they were seeing in my face. Yes, that's not a shillelagh. That's not a thing. Anyway, um, he takes a big-ass pull. Good for him. Good for him. Um, he notices a word engraved, etched, I don't know, uh, at the bottom of his glass. It says... Was it in modified Albertus? It was, it was. A, it was no, it, it was in standard Albertus. Thank you for Stand- bringing this up. Because it doesn't oh, okay. do the weird thing with the E. It's a full E. It's a, like, a complete closed uh, E. It right. says U, but of course it doesn't clue. say that yet. Because of course the first thing is U. He blinks. He takes another gulp. Word comes up. Have. And though it's it looks like it's the village font, it's just uh-huh. basic Albertus. He takes another pull. Just. And here's what I like about that, Chris. I like that because the writer of the note is taking the time. She paid a little extra for the engraving at Things Remembered at the <laughs> Ratterun Mall to communicate to him that what's happening to him happened just now. Just immediately, yep. real recently. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, she could have just said, you have been poisoned. But she said, you have just been poisoned. Seconds ago. Right. And, and it would have been more strictly accurate to use the present tense. But You are um, poisoned. That's a good, again, good point. Again, she's death. Here's what I would have done. She knows what she's doing. Here's what I would have done to save some money. Poison, bitch. That's what I would have said. But <laughs> but there's another gulp. But that would be, it's, I wouldn't mean, be that English. would be revealed in, in like an Englishman. Even an Englishman would have had the full message spelled out for them <laughs> if you had just done it that way. Two words, two lines. Yep. No, you gotta you gotta stretch it out, Glenn. Because death, she's she got style. Again, she got style. She got grace. Bin, bin is happening because again, because we just have to. And then he keeps going, finally poison. This is so British just to kind of like let you on. But no, instead of turning on the barmaid, Uh, which I would have turned on Doris, uh, because like logically she has to be in on it. 
Right. She is definitely uh, like chain of custody of that pint glass. But also, like, she handed him the glass such that when he went to drink it, the words would appear from top to bottom in yeah. a way like that. She is in on it. Uh-huh. So he immediately puts the glass down and orders a brandy, then a whiskey, then a lager drink. Then a... No, he doesn't do that. He's a... Same again, sir? No, thank you. One of those is quite enough. Brandy. A whiskey, <laughs> a vodka, a drambuie. Do you know what drambuie is, Chris? Uh, I, I, no. I've heard the word. Whiskey, vodka, drambuie. It is uh, a no. scotch whiskey infused with honey and herbs. Tia Maria, Quattro, Grand Marnier. Then he orders a Tia Maria, a Quattro, and a Grand Marnier. Tia Maria. Grand Marnier. Grand Marnier. Yeah. Tia Maria is this incredibly gross, uh, creamy coffee liqueur. Cointreau, which is an orange-flavored liqueur, and Grand Marnier, which is also an orange-flavored liqueur, but that's a blend of cognac, oranges, and sugar. Sir, you'll make yourself sick. Okay. Gross, gross, now, gross, I, gross, I, gross. I, I asked this gross. question as, as someone who has never induced vomiting in myself. I've never done it, but who I, would? I gotta you, think. You wouldn't do it. Right. But there are easier ways, right? I mean, can't you just... I, I so I, that's why I don't know if the finger in the throat actually works, but um, but to just give yourself alcohol poisoning to make yourself throw he is, <laughs> would that would that work? He is far like, too heterosexual to, to shove a finger down his throat. Yeah, and he's not going to ask Doris he's not gonna, to he's not gonna, hold his muttons for him. He's not going to play with his <laughs> uvula. Nope. <laughs> when he excuses himself to go to the um, the toilet, not the bathroom, right? I like that that death is exiting preceded by her extremely long cigarette S- holder. Like an like epe, make, make way for basically. Yeah. It's like it's as big as an epe. But I just want to say, like, so he's had. I think what he's doing here is he's he's trying to cut down the time because you could just guzzle uh-huh. vodka and throw up, but he wants to do it quickly, uh-huh. and the way to do that quickly is by mixing liquors yeah. in a very short amount of time. Your stomach is going to rebel. He drinks cognac, which is a kind of brandy. Chris, ask me what uh, brandy is. What, what what brandy is? What is brandy? Glenn, what's brandy? Well, I mean, she's a fine girl. What a good wife she would be. But my wife, my lover, the lady, is the sea. <laughs> By the way, this is a tangent. We're given to tangents. But Brandy yeah. clearly works in a gay bar because it's it's these guys who are there and they're like, oh, sorry, Brandy. You'd be a great wife. But my love, my love, my lady <laughs> is the sea. Old, old Briny, old the bounding main, yeah. old Davy Jones locker. That's, that's where I go. Can't can't marry you. <laughs> something, something semen. Anyway, so she finally says, sir, you'll make yourself sick. And yeah. it's like seven drinks in when she, yeah, he's already downed half a dozen drinks you in You are expanding your role in this history. You have a hand in that, Missy. You have a hand in yeah. like the fact that you'll make yourself, nope, nope, nope. Right. Helped. Sir, you'll make yourself sick. Doris is an operator. I mean, she's she's no death, but but she's in league with death. She's in league with death. Mm. Yeah. And okay, so he decides he's going to guzzle these things. She down. she has an appointment with death. Got an appointment with death. Uh, he guzzles these things down, and then this is my favorite part of the episode. Maybe it's a small moment, but he lines up the glasses on the bar and gives them little <laughs> tweaks, little so fastidious, little OCD <laughs> tweaks because yeah. of course, <laughs> because. Uh. Makes sense. And then he goes to the toilets, which I just, I never understood why the British call them toilets because the Brits as a people are invested in euphemism 
as a way of life. They are the most yeah. easily embarrassed people on the face of the earth. And yet, instead of saying something, couching it like restroom, water closet, they say right. toilets. Let me get the toilet. Right. Where's the toilet? It's like, Bleh. it's not my... Lou, right? I mean, you can say Lou. They say Lou, I am all about, but like toilets. Where's the toilet? Yeah. Or the water closet? The water closet. They used to say water just closet. A, just a nonsensical, yep. t- like. <laughs> I mean, no, it makes perfect sense because you can get water there and it's in a little enclosed space. It's a water closet. Makes complete okay. sense to me. All right. All right. Toilet is like, ugh, just, ugh, I hate everything about yeah. calling it the toilets. Yeah. So, again, as you mentioned, as he's going in, the white woman in white, death is coming out. Uh-huh. She's got this crazy cigarette holder, which is just seems like it's, you know, entirely entirely drag it's way too much it's way it's way too long of a cigarette holder smoking kills but uh she's way ahead of smoking um we don't see him vomit because it's 1968 but he he washes his face then he goes to dry it off on one of those disgusting eternal towel dispensers oh right where a note is written this time in black because apparently she ran out of lipstick or, you know, huh. maybe it's goth lipstick. I don't know. Maybe she maybe <sighs> she's ahead of her time. It says, upset tummy, try Benny's Turkish baths around the corner. Which is setting up kind of a public health nightmare because, I mean, like, <laughs> that sign is going to stay there and it's going to keep rolling around. Oh, yeah. So some dude who has had diarrhea in the last 24 hours is going to see that and go to a public pool after having diarrhea, like this is, oh, it just seems right. like a thing you, you should. You are do. retroactively reducing my sum of enjoyment <laughs> from this episode, Glenn. You're ruining it after the. Fact. I'm just saying this is a thing. Don't do that. Don't, don't do mm. that. And especially when you go to, when it turns out that Tommy's is it Tommy's? Yes, it's to- Benny's Turkish baths are. Uh huh. Yeah. It's him in his steam cabinet. Uh, he's back in the disguise. When did he get back? This is another direct Bond pull. This is right out of uh, Thunderball, which came out in 65. Oh, wow. This episode is airing in January 68. So not only does this very thing happen in Thunderball, where Bond uh, traps a guy who has already tried to kill him via spa device by jamming the like the steam thing with a broom handle so the guy can't get out mm-hmm. of it. The victim of this treatment from 007 is Count Lippy, as played by one Guy Dolman, who we saw in Arrival oh, right. as the second number two. Oh, interesting, interesting. It all comes back together. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the problem with this scene is that he's in full disguise. He's in a steam cabinet pod. Whatever, I don't know. I, I don't know. The sp- that seems like just, just an awful device. Why would that exist? The spirit gum would have melted by this point. Like the spirit, <laughs> You can't hold on to that mustache, that wig... That, those chops. Um, <laughs> there is a sign on the wall next to them called a, it says a tepidarium. Do you know what a tepidarium is, Chris? New, but it does sound awfully British. <laughs> That's right. But it was, was a new al- word for me. There, there was also a no smoking sign, though. Makes sense, right? Don't smoke in the steam room? That would just, it would just automatically go out, right? <laughs> it's just too much. Yeah, yeah. But a tepidarium is a Roman bath warmed by an underfloor heating system or a hypocost. Another word I didn't know. This is an incredibly educational. Which is a hollow space. This is what the Romans did. The hollow space under the bath where you just pump warm air into to kind of warm the air. So, yes, as we talked about, the woman in white, death slinks over. And she slinks. She's a good slinker. 
This is a very yeah. good slinking that she does. In her boots that were made. Have we said her name yet? Justine Lord? Yes, Justine we have Lord. said Justine Lord. Great, great name. Great it's name. Great name. If you're going to play death, you got to come to play. And um, when your parents name you Justine Lord, mm-hmm. you're qualified. She puts the broom between the handles to trap him in. She puts a helmet on his head, like kind of a goldfish bowl on his head. Sure. She's got boots that were made for walking or at least for murdering. <laughs> uh, he breaks out... <laughs> Entirely too easily. Is that how Bond broke out too? Did he break out like just by doing that? Bond did it to the other guy. Uh, like after right. after Guy Dolman sabotaged this back stretcher device <laughs> that Bond was uh, was strapped into by this um, masseuse who he was sexually harassing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> story checks out. Well, you wouldn't tell Doctor Wayne, please. I'd lose my job. Well, I I suppose my silence could have a price. Mean, oh no. Oh yeah. And then he basically extorts sex from her to um, to buy his silence, mm-hmm. so that he won't report her for this thing that was not her fucking fault yep, at all. Sure. But uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But he out. he yes, he extorts her um, for sex, and then I think this is after he has already trapped Guy Dolman in the the steam cabinet, if that's what we're we're calling mm-hmm. it. I don't know. Dolman might just, he might just turn into a raisin there. I don't, yeah. we, we don't, we don't see him get out. I mean, it wouldn't be the raisin, but the opposite of a raisin because he's not dehydrating. He is hydrating <laughs> in a big old way. Oh, He'd yeah. Pop. Right. Okay. He'd pop like a, I don't know, like a scanner's dude. Like the Kananga balloon like, in um, Live and Let Die. Exactly. Like Yafit I knew there was a Bond reference. <laughs> I just couldn't pull it. <laughs> Who gets shot with a, like a shark pellet yeah, or something? shark pellets. These are things that happen. Um, so we see that he is in full... When he breaks out, he, like, he's been sitting in that steam cabinet in layers of tweed. Layers yeah, and layers and layers of tweed. In full Sherlock Holmes plaid. Turns out she's left a note in lipstick on a nearby steam cabinet that says... Go to Barney's boxing booth, front row. P.S. Who would be a goldfish? Now, Chris, help me out here because she's shown herself to be a stickler for punctuation, but she's left out the question mark. So this is not a question, right? This is like, who would be a king, right? Yeah, like like Barney would be a goldfish. She's saying like, if you he who would be a goldfish would do X, right? It's a, it's the beginning of a uh, statement. Like, mu- if you would be a goldfish, you must do X and Y. The only thing I can figure is that's some reference to the like the helmet that she put on his head because it doesn't come back at all. It's not like yeah. a riddle that's going to be solved. But doesn't he only get this after he's freed himself from the the steam this is thing? The thing she's just saying, yeah. you look like a goldfish, dude. All right. right. And your deerstalker and your is the deerstalker the hat or the coat? The deerstalker, I believe, is the hat with the flappy hat. So we cut in your, in your muttons. now to an amusement park. If I were a kid and I saw Six walking around in full Sherlock Holmes gear, I would just go up to him and be like, hey, selfie, hey, right? Because, like, obviously yeah. it's an amusement <laughs> park and you're dressed as Sherlock Holmes. Wait, so so we don't learn anything at the boxing match? Like, uh, Six has to, in, in his Holmes I'm saying, get up, he, he fights the guy. In, in his uh, full gear, he fights the guy. Yeah, but, like, you're yeah, a pugilist, yeah. right? So do you think they had boxing rings at amusement parks is that does that is the boxing booth supposed to be at the amusement park it totally is okay that i did not get i thought these were separate locations no 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 no. he goes and there's roller coasters and boxing and and okay men (laughs) sounds great hitting meat faces (laughs) with fists it uh, it doesn't seem like i understand like at at the iowa fair there's like oh we're gonna judge a cow here's a butter (laughs) 
thing. <laughs> but boxing doesn't seem like and We're going to watch a Sherlock Holmes cosplayer fight this tubby old guy. <laughs> well, tubby, he's in good shape. Um, he goes into stands. He has been tapped to fight the main guy, Killer Kaminsky. Uh, the woman in the stands is death. She's there, but she's in old country morning clothes. Good good luck, young man. Uh, she's got a veil. Yep. And the act break is bookended by a shot of the, in a picture book of like an old tummy fight with like, oh, what ho? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Lots of that. Love Lots that. of that. Love that. Queensberry rules. Uh, mm. So then, for no reason that I can figure, the woman in white comes back to the stands dressed in white. And she wants to watch the fight, which I'm going to let you take it from here. What happens during this fight, Chris? Because I don't oh, I fucking don't. know. I did. Six is just asking Killer Kaminsky for information, information, information. Mm-hmm. But um, I, pertaining to what, I recall not. Right. Where does, where does Kaminsky tell him to go? To the Tunnel of Love. Which, oh, of course. Which, uh, right. which, you know, it could be. I mean, if you're looking for subtext. And it happens between clinches, right? Clinch, clinches. That's a boxing term, isn't it? Right. I mean, clinch is a thing in like like MMA. Okay. And that's a position that you can put your. Oh, I thought the clinch is when you, you hug each other and you're like you're too tired and what's that? Th- but I mean, yeah, that is used the same way, and I mean, the ref will break you up right. if you right. are doing that. Okay. Whereas in mixed martial arts, it's it is a legal move. Like it's actually a tactic. Like you're actually holding the the opponent by their neck so that you can kick them. <laughs> But MMA is savage. MMA is a savage blood sport. I don't like it. It's too violent. And, and <laughs> That's why I like regular old boxing. Regular old boxing, which is just uh, puppies and slightly less violent. And, and uh, yes, and the MMA advocates insist that boxing is more savage and sadistic and cruel than MMA because it lasts longer. Mm. Which okay. maybe. Uh, we cut to six on a ride in the tunnel of love. He's got the sunglasses on, which doesn't seem smart mm-hmm. because he's going to miss some details. It's very dark in there. Right. It's crazy mirror showing us both in 5D. It's laughing at you. You're laughing at me. In this room of shadows, that gets so dark, brother. It's easy for two people to lose each other, Glenn. In this tunnel of love. <laughs> he does, in fact, miss a detail, which is that she's just right fucking there <laughs> looking at him. <laughs> She gets on his boat, or does she? She gets on his boat and proceeds to start talking to him, but doesn't let him turn around to see her because she says she's got a gun on him. I have you covered. The tunnel of love is very fitting because I'm beginning to love you in my way. All my life I've been looking for a worthy opponent. You have passed my first little test brilliantly. You'll be hearing from me again. I'll be the same. <laughs> <laughs> she passed my first little test brilliantly and then she says bye and he turns around and it turns out it's a transistor oh the transistor <laughs> yes exactly and as soon as uh, he, she starts to cackle over the transistor he tosses it into the water because rules of evidence aren't a thing like, like obviously this thing that is a proof that I have been chased around i'm just going to toss it into the water and he seems surprised when it goes boom even though he really by this point should not be surprised i, I mean as though it were a cricket ball as though it were a cricket ball. back outside and this 
Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna kind of speed through this because a lot of this happens over and over again. But he goes back outside the amusement uh-huh. park. He chases. So you know, they they had a lot of good high quality rear projection footage of this amusement park. Actually, a lot so. of this takes place on the actual rides. Like, I mean, like he chases her onto a roller coaster, then a but carousel. But Guin is not on the. Guin is nowhere I mean, near. Anytime we see him on a roller coaster, like he is clearly in front of a. Guin was screen, back in his so trailer in yes, London. But, yes, but like. There's a carousel. He thinks he chases her onto another ride, but it's a different girl who slaps him. You masher. He spots her again. He gets on another roller coaster, but again. Nice, satisfying. Like, they could have lingered. He could have out and slapped some more. We, we haven't seen him slapped since Free For All. Ah, uh, yes. He's, he's a man who is deserving of slaps. Um, and, then, and then when he misidentifies her, uh, like, doesn't he, he tip his hat in apology? Several at, times, because uh, he keeps yes, misidentifying yes. her. Because right. there's a real run on white dresses in London <laughs> this time. Yes. The very same dress, like, it's everybody is. And one lady who is uh, busy in a photo shoot mm-hmm. with a photographer, played by who, Glenn? Could that you, would be one Alexis Kenner, who That's right. smash his nose all over your face. The kid. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if that was his voice or if that was no, that's him. Know, the the ubiquitous Robert Rietti, or, or if Rietti was even still there at this point. No, that's but definitely that him. him. Okay, I'll smash your nose all over your that face. That is definitely him, and he, this happened several times, first on a roller coaster, then in front of a carousel, and then we learn that as soon as he leaves, after he tips his cap, it's the actual real death because she rewards him mm. with a kiss. She rewards the photographer, right. Alexis Kenner, with a kiss. Yes. She hops into... A very adorable white sports car. Uh, he follows in his car, which is just as conveniently parked. Mm-hmm. It's right behind it. Mm-hmm. That moment with um, where it turns out to be the real death after he's used to seeing all the fake deaths, it, it, it really reminded me of that scene from The Lion in Winter where uh, <laughs> the lion in winter has the hologram okay. that, that he's using to throw his pursuers off the trail. And then um, like after a bunch of them mistakenly shoot into the hologram and see that their bullets have no effect, Glenn, mm-hmm. They next go around another corner and are again confronted by a lion in winter who says, you think this is the real lion oh in winter? God. Okay. No, I wasn't seeing that coming. And then they all here. just like drop their guns and he goes, it is. Yeah, it seems inevitable. And shoots them. It's, it's funny how it, yeah. this is, this is, this is what you, what you aim for as a storyteller. <laughs> you want it to seem unpredictable yet inevitable. And <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's where I ended up. <laughs> so she radios him as they are driving, as he's chasing them. I love you madly. I love the way your hair curls on the back of your neck. You'll make a beautiful corpse. I'm going to do you the honor of letting you die superbly. Then she becomes, I mean, you could pick the reference. She becomes the DC Comics villain Count Vertigo by pointing and tilting the rear screen projector that he's in. Glenn, she, she does control the vertical and the horizontal. She totally does. I love this. I love this. This is my favorite part of the episode, Chris. <laughs> this is it is so dumb and so fun and and also it is totally like when the, you know, Wiley Coyote is chasing the roadrunner and he doesn't like, he'll run off the cliff and then like everything's fine until he actually looks down and only then does gravity take hold. I love And it. you know McGowan, God love him, he sells it. He sells that he's being turned yeah. around on a rear screen projection. <laughs> <laughs> I love Count Vertigo. I've always loved Count Vertigo. Count Vertigo is this guy. He's an incredibly handsome blonde guy who has a great uh, costume. A great costume. He just touches his uh, temple and people, you know, have... Uh, and I always ooh, I always read him as gay. Yeah. I mean, like, I, mean, I don't know if that's canon, but I, something about him, <laughs> the handsomeness, the fact that he disorients uh, people. Glenn, Deuteronomus, Anamalus, yep. canon. Yep. 
Count Vertigo, gay. She drives into the town of Witchwood. Uh, There's no actual town called Witchwood in the UK. There is a town called Witchwood, W-Y-C-H. And this town is deserted. Uh, There are three shops along the high street. Each of them has a cutesy name. There is a butcher, um, who is the proprietor is one Brendan Bell. There is a baker, the proprietor one David Doe. Or Dow. Hmm. Let's let's call it Dow just to make yeah, it work a little yeah. harder. And then there's okay. a candlestick maker named by uh, by the name of Leonard Snuffit. Um, mm-hmm. There was also in the background a blacksmith shop, but we don't get the cutesy name yet. That's going to come later. There is a PA system in this town because many towns have a PA system. <laughs> I mean, the village. Does. The village does. She welcomes him, saying, "This is to be our love tryst." You may not see my face, but you may know my name. My name is Death. My name is Death. Uh, this is a great delivery. I, I, I appreciate <laughs> so this. Yep. And I would love her to see. It almost sounds like maybe she just does it vocally, but it, it almost sounds like they sped up the recording of uh, Is Death. Yep. The pitch gets higher. Whatever this is, it is, it's it's awesome. She takes delight in saying that her name is Death. She takes mm-hmm. you can hear it, yeah. and I would just want her to say to follow up by saying, "My name is Death, Death Orton." I would love it if she said that. <laughs> she doesn't say that. Of the Boromwood Ortons, would you like to see all my Brit awards? Which <laughs> is not really the reveal that the show is hoping for, because yep. I mean, it's mm-hmm. the title of the episode that we've seen flashed up. So, like, I mean, it doesn't have that same cachet. The act break is bookended by a picture yep. of an English town's high street uh, in a storybook. She apologizes that her, her father couldn't be there. Hmm. He's busy with his rocket. Also, he didn't wish to play Gooseberry. Huh? Did you, do you know this? No. Okay. No. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed. I had to look it up. Tell me. Of course, I had to look it up because this is incredibly British. To play Gooseberry <laughs> is, oh, is to be British? the mm-hmm. third wheel, to be like the dude, the woman who's hanging out with a couple. Like the couple wants to be together right. and you're there, you know, just hanging out with them. The gooseberry. To play gooseberry. Yep. Okay. So what's the, the, um. Oh, I don't, don't. What's the word it's I'm looking not for? A thing. The derivation. Etymology. I'm looking for a word. No, 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 who yeah. knows? Right. I mean like gooseberries. Who, who the fuck? Gooseberry. Who the fuck likes gooseberries? She invites him into a building where she has laid a serious finale of Breaking Bad trap for him. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He, this this also happens in the man with the golden gun, so it's all okay. It's all, all right, back. good to know. Replete with a uh, like wax mannequin that is sometimes Roger Moore yep. and sometimes not. All coming <laughs> back to me, back to me now. The, he takes the machine gun, he blows away a dummy, he falls into a trap door, he saves himself from electrified spikes. I love the fact that they're spikes and they're electrified. Hat on a hat, as you would say. With the ingenious application of wood, yep. <laughs> he just <laughs> takes some wood. And puts it under there. She informs him that the floor is mined. And also, by the way, don't worry about it because they're going to explode in 90 seconds anyway. He rescues himself by climbing along a hot water pipe. And then he steps into the candlestick maker shop. Now, by the way, these elaborate booby traps, if the mines are going to explode in 90 seconds, like all your setup is the God for shit. You could not. She keeps saying, oh, nobody else made it this far. Like nobody else would because you keep blowing people up. But anyway. She set up some cyanide candles that explode when they're blown out. Um, she says she's invented them, <laughs> so the testing yeah. process had to be a bitch here because she couldn't test them yeah. at all. That first draft of speed, yes, where uh, you just have to keep the candle burning, uh, didn't, didn't <laughs> test well. Nope. 
extensive reshoots. Right. Sandra Bullock couldn't sell it. Uh, <laughs> the blast doors come down, cutting off all exits and windows. He stacks several candle holders in front of one door. And at this point, we get a great characterizing moment from her where we hear her voice saying, Interesting. I've noticed mice get irrational in just the same way when they know they're going to die. Now, that is a characterizing line because, and it really sets her up as a psychopath because it's not like, shh, like I've heard that mice get irrational or <laughs> they say that or she's just stating this fact. She says, yeah. I've noticed that mice get irrational <laughs> just the same way. This is a personal observation. She is crazy. She is nuts. Yeah. I'm going to give that one to uh, Vincent Feely. Yeah. I, I don't think that came from an idea by David Tomlin. <laughs> uh, she lines up the candles. She blows them out with a bellows. It explodes the door, even though there's a metal door. So it seems like it shouldn't happen. She, he runs out into the street under only to come under machine gun fire from the nest in the bell tower. She's wearing a Kaiser helmet because they couldn't get away with like a... World War II Nazi helmet, apparently, because hmm. uh, that was deemed. I, I don't know. I feel like the little spike makes them look scarier. Yeah, no, are we the baddies? Um, he ducks into the blacksmith shop, and the name on the door, this, I had to freeze frame it and back up several times, is Frederick Smeltz. Now that's that's a solid piece of business right there. If you're going to do like Leonard Snuff it, you need Frederick Smeltz to be the blacksmith. Sure. Okay. Uh, a... And that poor guy, you know, he was teased in school. Uh, yeah, um, and, and Fred's a good guy. Fred's a good guy. He backs out of the blacksmith shop with a bulldozer. Why would a blacksmith have a bulldozer? He aims the <laughs> the scoopy part, the diggy part. Help me out here, Chris. You're 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 a man. <laughs> what's a what's what's the diggy part called? The, the scoop. I think it's called the diggy. The part, scoopy Clyde. part. He aims the scoopy the part. Sc- Whenever you see one of those caterpillar treaded beasts. Yep. And you just want to yep, yep, yep. climb up into the driver's seat, no matter how, how old you are, and sit behind the scoopy part. <laughs> <laughs> he aims it at the tower to protect himself. Uh, and so she, I love this, very matter-of-factly, she starts loading a grenade launcher. She does it very daintily. Uh, she tosses <laughs> more grenades at him, those little stick grenades, with like a wee every time, yeah. wee. Yep. And then she finishes off with a full full-on bazooka so she knows how to build she knows the rule of threes she completely fucking destroys the dozer uh with the bazooka and she seems like do you agree with me chris she seems kind of like an old hand with a with a bazooka like we'll learn she's she has been taught by crazy napoleon guy who is who is known for his bazooka stratagems um the death knell sounds as she leaves the village um and just look at all this money on the screen. Like this is this is what I'm saying. Like this is this is this is not. Like, they're not doing this on the cheap. Now, I yeah. This is McGowan just just wanting to to bleed Lou Grade. Maybe it's like yeah, possibly. Fuck you, <laughs> no, we need we we need to explode the bulldozer. So six has saved himself by crawling down a manhole on this dirt road. So how does that work exactly? She leaves in a helicopter. He hops on board without her knowing. There's an act break of a 19... I want to say, you'll, you'll know this, Mr. Sky... Sky... Aaron Space Sky. Um, <laughs> yes. Smithsonian Sky and Stream. guy. I believe this to be an aeroplane. <laughs> uh, auto gyro. An auto gyro uh, between 1910 and 1914, somewhere in there. Does that make sense to you, this picture? I have to go back and look okay. at it. 
If it was a World War One era yes. aircraft, or, is that what or slightly okay. before. Yeah. Uh, so she lands in this field. He uh, trails her. The music. I don't know if you remember the music in this particular scene, Chris, but it is fucking weird. Uh, he finds a secret entrance to a tunnel that she must have gone down, and enters into what is clearly a full-on Bond supervillain lair with computers against the rockstone walls. Yeah. Uh, there's a barracks there. There's drawings of Napoleon and Josephine. And then a guy dressed as Napoleon comes down a ladder. He is Irish. How do I know he's Irish, Chris? He's singing Danny Boy. Oh. <laughs> that's because well, that's, you know, we all know Irish people. I mean, that's how they do. That's what they do. Yeah, right. I, they sing Danny Boy and they uh, go up to you whether you've got a knife or not and insist that the knife that you do or don't have is not a knife because the thing that they have is a knife. I love I love, Irish. I love that you're sticking with this. Um, <laughs> Six knocks him out and takes his clothes and he continues to sing. He picks up where the guy who was singing Danny Boy left off with some really poorly executed ADR. Like he's not singing. <laughs> and then finally we cut to the professor. He is in a rocket silo. With a very cool central map of London. We will see this set again in a couple episodes, so and memorize it. The, the other episode that they were shooting concurrently with exactly. this one. Exactly. This is one Kenneth Griffith. Man had a long career. Uh, he was married three times, had several kids. I'd be happy to claim him on my team, but I don't get that vibe from him. Uh, hmm. He is strictly a therapy zone drinker, I think. And that's that's fine. Gets billing above Justine Lord in the the guest stars title card. He's not playing the title character of the episode. He's not. He doesn't show up until the final act. So I but he's don't think that's right. Doing a lot of comic business that she isn't necessarily mm. doing. She is playing it well, straight. He okay. is he is committing to the bit a little bit more than she does. He is the only outright flatly comic number two we're going to get, uh, and he mm. is. I mean, some might dispute this, but I think he's great at this. I mean, the thing with the hands on the stomach, that is a solid piece of business. There are actual jokes here that he delivers. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's good. She, she delivers them too. Tell me again about Mother's Last Calv- Cavalry, cavalry Charge. And that's, <laughs> yep, I'm in. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So in the meantime, Six climbs into the... That almost makes me want to look up what else Vincent Feely wrote. Because it does. There's lots that's evidence of a lots of good jokes here. Like everyone's everything's yeah. doing it now. You see, like all oh, this is really solid. Good. Six climbs into the armor. He gets a gun. <clears throat> we cut back to the professor who is divvying up London, which he will destroy in one hour's time. Uh, we learn that uh, the person that Six KO'd was the Irish marshal, who is named O'Rourke. <laughs> there is also a Welsh mm-hmm. marshal named Jones. Uh, Chris, ask me if. Jones is a common name in Wales. Glenn, what is the prevalence of the nomenclature Jones within the region of Wales? Well, it's not unusual. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> what I did there? Uh, do, you, do you know, Glenn, there <laughs> is one of our regular contributors for at uh, Smithsonian Sky and Stream magazine is the, the actual astronaut, Tom Jones. Oh, okay. Real guy, real astronaut. Also belongs to my parents' church. Okay. All right. These are good things. These are all... 
Is... And that fucking joke never gets old. <laughs> <laughs> we try to to find different ways. To throw to, panties at also, him? He, Do you throw panties yes, at him? You we, totally no, should. I mean, yeah, we, of course, of course. Um, but yeah, he actually has has written a recurring feature for our magazine called Ask an Astronaut. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and much of what we want to ask an astronaut is the, <laughs> right. you know, the, the quotient of usuality uh, okay. or, right. or not right, of, of various things. Uh, uh, there is also a Scottish marshal we learned. Um, who's going to be promised Wembley Stadium. Uh, we never get his name, but I'm going to say it's McDonald because it stands to reason. Yeah. And then we get some crazy, as they try to like find O'Rourke, uh, there is some slapstick Benny Hill speeded up Scooby-Doo whack- whackiness here, <laughs> which is so unlike anything the prisoner has done before. And that's kind of why I love it. It McGowan gets to do an Irish accent. Oh, I haven't seen him. No, I haven't. Uh, which is like so good. Yeah, he rigs their guns to backfire. It takes, you know, possibly longer than I'm sorry. it needs to. Makes them what? To backfire. To backfire. Sorry. Thank to you. Fire. Thank right, you. Right, right, right. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, thank. Good catch. Uh, <laughs> he knocks them out, but gets captured by death. He gets tied up and gets told the fiendish plan. He'll be in the rocket. Uh-huh. Which of course has been disguised as a lighthouse, the same lighthouse I think from uh, yes, from uh, from yeah. uh, many happy many returns. returns. No, wait, is it many happy returns? Yes, 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 it is. Yes, it's the uh, when the uh, rocket hits London, he'll be the first to know. Again, I'm like, give me jokes, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. show you've been denying me jokes. Give me jokes. Give me quips. Um, he frees himself in a way that I love. It's a very clever way of freeing himself that just he just lifts up the cushion on the chair and he's totally free. <laughs> Love it. He attempts to foil the launch not by asking the computer a hard question, but it has the same <laughs> it has the same effect. Just a question that's insoluble. W H Y question mark. Uh, he he just why punches some dials uh, and then he climbs down outside the lighthouse using some mountaineering rope that has been check of gunned into the previous scene where she talks yes. about how great this mountaineering rope is. <laughs> Try some mountaineering rope at your next party. Like, like mountaineering rope is the sponsor. Everybody, the everybody loves mountaineering rope. Hey, I mean, Lou Grade was wealthy, but he wasn't made of money. Six takes the boat to try to stop him with the grenades that he has rewired so that the actual detonation charge thingy is in the handles that they used to throw them and not the actual grenades themselves. Blowing them up good, which blows up the, the rocket slash yep. lighthouse real lighthouse. good. Uh-huh. And then he closes the village storybook. The smug look he gives before when you know right before they blow up. That's great. Yep. That's really good. There's a moment in C- Casino Royale, and I'm not talking about the 67 Casino Royale, which which certainly seems like a an important reference point for this. Should right? be. That, yeah. that movie came out nine months before this. Mm-hmm. So this exists in a post- Peter Sellers, David Niven, John Houston, Woody, <laughs> Woody Allen, Allen yes, Orson don't Welles, forget, don't forget Woody Allen, Ursula Andress, mm-hmm. Casino Royale universe. But there is the same bit in uh, Casino Royale 06, the whole thing that's supposed to be at the Miami airport, which was actually shot in Prague, I think, where the bad guy is trying to blow up a jet that's about to take off, and, and uh, Daniel Craig Bond has, unbeknownst to him while they were grappling, he locked the detonator onto the guy's belt or something so then the cops all tackle daniel craig because the bad guy is wearing a cop uniform they just ignore him there's a a 
close-up of Craig's face as he's being held down and handcuffed and kicked by these cops, but he's just looking at the bad guy who he knows is about to explode. Mm-hmm. And it's that same face that Pat McGowan is making <laughs> making here when he's looking back at the lighthouse like, this is the moment. Yep, yep. <laughs> right before you're going to blow up. Yep. <laughs> And uh, that's when he closes the village storybook and tells these children that is how I saved London from the mad scientist. And he hits the T. He doesn't. He doesn't say that's why you should stay away from women. <laughs> that's always. That's that's why never trust a woman, even of the feline variety. That's why I always leave a note. No, he doesn't say that. And that is how I saved London from the mad scientist. He says, scientist. He hits the T in the scientist. We haven't gotten a lot of dialogue from Six in this episode, so there's precious little for me to imitate. So I like, I like it's, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm grateful it's, for it's, this. It's almost like McGowan was kind of checked kinda out. Checked out. <laughs> Not there for a lot of it. So the conceit of this, of this plan by number two and the conceit of this episode, both of which are very flimsy, is that he's in the village nursery telling bedtime stories to three children, which is the most uncharacteristic thing <laughs> that this, that anything we know about Six. But I know. These children are trapped in the village, right? Because they must possess some top secret knowledge about what marbles jump rope what what are they oh they i've developed a slingshot technology that like what what is like giant lollies what what are they do they have like hoop and stick baths baths taking uh baths taking <laughs> he puts the kid to bed and by the way when i see six sitting in a room with children it just i don't it doesn't feel right to me it doesn't seem like this guy should be sitting in a room we learn that he's been observed by the professor, who is it's of a real, course, real kindergarten cop kind of kind of scenario. There, isn't it, Glenn? It's a, not a tumor. <laughs> um, <laughs> another another great Nigel Scott movie. <laughs> it's right. <laughs> um, the professor is number two, and death is in fact number seventeen. Say it with me, Chris. Number seventeen, the spread eagle. Uh, no, nothing. You don't. I, sh- I should not expect a straight straight guy to be off book on cell block tango but what somehow somehow uh, i figured somehow i figured go ahead go ahead no 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 you're a theater no. critic i figured you might okay you might know your candor and ebb that's just me maybe i figured uh, anyway she's number 17 the spread tango. eagle what, what show cell block tango it's chicago i have not even seen the movie are you the movie that okay, won well, this is the next picture. thing we're gonna do when we can finally be together, as 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 we were meant to be, in in one room, yeah. we will watch. It's flawed, but okay. uh, you know, you know, it's it's. I it's, but I I just you, I, I have a feeling. Dim. I Glenn, there is no evidence of this, but there's nothing in the world that will convince me that you don't have a a great John C. Riley in your back pocket. So <laughs> so that is why, for that reason only, I will I will agree Thank to this. You for having me much of your time. I, um, I Chicago might be the only Best Picture winner in the last. Uh, no, you know what? I I'm actually I'm not sure I saw the King's Speech either. No, this just seems. I mean, right. okay. I was gonna say I was gonna say not seeing Chicago feels homophobic to me, but then you didn't see the King's Speech, which is just <laughs> yes, absolutely <laughs> solidarity, brother, because we are. We are we are of a piece. Okay. I did see the King's Speech because I had to, but like I oof, saw oof, Moonlight oof, oof, in the theater three times. So this take this your good. allegations Just of homophobia and these retract are, them. These are jokes. Night drop is God with children. <laughs> you might give something away. Well, it was worth a try, number two. 
That one wouldn't drop his guard with his own grandmother! So their plan, and a very flimsy one, is that he might drop his guard with children, and it's done in the same way that the other one did with, like, fill it with drugs, give him a scenario. It's like, it's like <laughs> might drop his guard with children, which yeah. is just not the way people talk. Uh, they turn off monitoring him. Do you remember this? But then, um, you know, because uh, the new number two shuts off the monitor with his umbrella and then goes, drop his guard with yeah. children. And then he comes back on the monitor of his own, which means that Six is kind of taking over the systems of the village because he can come back onto this the monitor. He's hacked into the, the Matrix. Just, I, I mean, just, just <laughs> like he did at the end of A, B, and C, where, where he is, uh, he's, he's lucid dreaming to the point that he can dream himself right back into the room where they've got his yep. physical body under sedation. And, he is totally yeah. jacked into the mainframe. He's yeah. in. He's in. Um, <laughs> he comes back on the monitor to wish children. Net, like, like Sandra Bullock. Okay. Like Sandra Bullock. Or, or, you know, Dennis Miller. To wish children good night everywhere. Good night, children. Everywhere. He props up a creepy everywhere. proto-Pennywise clown. <laughs> and then he walks off to some more weird-ass music. I would please clip this yep. music, Chris. Both, both, both musics, they're just weird as fuck. <laughs> Well, I, I was I was gonna keep this as a surprise, Glenn, but uh, since you, um, I had to make do with a a single LP record before. What's going on here? But, uh, what is that? This, the original soundtrack. That is that is that is a thick. This is disc one. <laughs> this is disc two. Mm-hmm. Oh, give me give me do do the thrill do the thrill. Oh, God damn it. This is going to be worse than my Terrence stamp. <laughs> Disc three. Ah, you did it. Look good for you. That's growth. You know what I call that? Growth. This is the, uh, you probably can't discern the typeface here, but this is the music Bible for the series. Explaining how each of these cues were to be used and reused and re-reused. Oh, man. I don't think we hear the cues for these kind of weird, uh, this particular weird episode again as it should be, because they're just fucking weird. Well, again, they, they certainly reused a lot of music, but perhaps this was part of Operation Bleed Blue Grade Drive, because mm-hmm. we're no longer on good terms. So he leaves the nursery, village, Zoom, face, bars, end of episode. What do you... I, I kind of love this. Question. Six out of six, man. Six I, out of no, six. No, it's so much fun. Like, all the ways in which the Living in Harmony falls shorts... This delivers the fucking goods. I mean, you know, if there's a strike against it, it's that it's it's the same. Not the prisoner. It's not the prisoner. It's something else. But yay, love it. It's yeah, fun. you've talked about the space within the X Files. That episodes like Bad Blood or Jose mm-hmm. Chung's from Outer Space occupy. I mean, maybe that's is giving it more credit than it deserves because I think this is really is kind of a half-assed, really a hodgepodge of uh, doubling cool. and stock footage and uh, and yes, I mean. Corners were cut. <laughs> this is all. This is all Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. This is all. This is all. But cut it's corners, really but. fun, and I, and I mean, even though I I liked Living in Harmony much more than you until the oof, the end. Oof to, oof to, oof to, oof to. By exploiting the comic potential, and maybe just the fact that it it was kind of riffing on a thing that was very contemporary at the time, rather than than something that was more established and storied, like the mm-hmm. the Western. Although, as you asked. And blacker. I guess that depends on whether we're talking about the you know classic American John Ford, Fred right. Zinnemann model western, or the you know more contemporary um, spaghetti westerns. Then, mm-hmm. 
don't know. It's just that the results are better here. And I, and I feel like McGowan might be in on it a little more. I mean, bringing back Christopher Benjamin as Potter, that's, that's kind of an Easter egg, right? I mean, you wouldn't do that if you were sticking to your insistence of a year prior to this that he's not John Drake. Stop saying that. How dare you suggest it? Mm-hmm. That seems like the kind of fan service thing that happens all the time now. In the, this uh, mature period, perhaps um, superannuated period of, of geekdom, where we're like, oh, okay, Michael Keaton Batman is going to be in the Flash movie that's coming out 35 years later. All right, great. You know, mm-hmm. It just seems like McGowan kind of throwing his hands up, but in a give them what they want kind of way. Yep. I, I love it. Six out of six. Six out of six, definitely. Uh, you know, I would normally kind of go, well, this isn't a prisoner episode, so N.A., but like, no, this, I, I love this so much, and it is bookended. Well, not even bookended. It's like, what's the opposite of bookending? We only have one bookend at the end. Mm-hmm. It's like it's ended um, by, <laughs> by a, a great performance by Kenneth Griffith. I, I love that performance. He is, like, I love... Again, they couldn't sustain this. They couldn't just go and do a full-on joke episode, a full-on comic episode more than once. But if they're going to do it, this is the one we got, and I am on fucking board. Next up is Once Upon a Time. When I was a kid, it was my favorite episode because uh, it seemed to me that this is where the allegory and the surface story kind of came together at most. It's going to be the ages of man which is a very allegorical, everyman, blah, blah, blah thing, but it is done for some kind of larger overarching purpose that serves the story. Um, who knows if I'm going to think that, but it's got Liam McCurran in it. It's got a great Batman villain set, <laughs> black box set. And this, yeah, and then this, the the one that, that broke Leo McCurran, apparently. Uh, one could imagine. He was in the fetal position in his, in his trailer mm-hmm. and had to be coaxed back out. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time, so we'll see if uh, that we can see any evidence of that breaking. What we now call emotional exhaustion, what we used to call a mental breakdown. Um, <laughs> see if we can. And a two-parter that um, was, you know, kind of retconned into being a two-parter, like yeah. it wasn't originally intended as being a two-parter. Like, yeah, no, no. Hmm. You wouldn't uh, put, you wouldn't schedule something called Degree Absolute as like the fifth episode. That doesn't make any <laughs> sense. You'd, Call it degree willy nilly. <laughs> yeah. Call it degree. Right. Just like 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 uh, when, half-assed. Yeah, when they they had to make another Star Trek movie with the original cast because the one called The Final Frontier <laughs> is the one that <laughs> no one liked. <laughs> so. <Yep>. <laughs> Frontier absolute. <laughs> yeah. Did, All right, Bell. Oh, my, f- my battery we, is. Did, yeah. Did we do our degree this and degree that and? Uh... We did. Okay. I think we did. Pretty sure we did. Not sure we did. This I don't know. This this ran long. I think we did. But, it's uh, been a long time. It's been a long yeah. time. But we'll see. I think we did. It's agree absolute. Yep. Don't think we did. Pretty sure we forgot. But I'm telling you, my phone is at three percent. Once upon a time. Once upon a time. Looking forward to it. Can't wait. All right. Be seeing you, Glenn. Be seeing you. There's a man who leads a life of danger. Everyone he meets, he stays a stranger Every move he makes, that's one more chance he takes Odds are he won't live to see tomorrow 
Absolute was conceived by Glenn Weldon and is produced by me, Chris Klemek. I wrote our goofy theme song, which was then arranged and beautifully performed by my dear friend Casey Aaron Clark on vocals and keyboards, and her brother Jonathan Clark on guitar and percussion with Marcus Newstead on the bass. This song was performed by Bruce Willis. Secret. letting you sit with that fact for a second. Anyway, check out Casey at CaseyAaronClark.com or VitalVoiceTraining.com. Write the Citizens Advice Bureau at AdegreeAbsolute at Gmail. You can tweet us at NotAnumberPod. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple or Stitcher or whatever platform you use to hear our show. If you leave us a five-star review with your craziest prisoner theory, we will read your theory on a future episode. Our Instagram handle is a degree absolute. And hey, I've been vaccinated. I hope you've been vaccinated. The situation has changed in the few months since Glenn and I started this show. We can now see a world in which it's safe to meet one another, congregate in person. What a happy occasion that is. And in light of that very welcome fact, you should probably know what Glenn likes to drink and in what sequence. Brandy. Whiskey, vodka, drambouille. Tia Maria, quattro, grand manier. Sir, you'll make yourself sick. Seeing you, Glenn. Be seeing you. Golden, golden, golden.